0: Your daily Toronto Raptors podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
1: Hey there, welcome to episode four of Locked On Raptors. I'm your host Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com and TSN Radio in Toronto. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean, and you can now follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Raptors. Uh, we are part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the Locked On NBA channel for shows about twenty-nine of thirty NBA teams. I believe the Washington Wizards show is starting this week as well, so it will be a full 30 out of 30. Uh, you can also listen to Locked On's fantasy basketball show, as well as uh, Locked On NBA, uh, which is a more broad general show. Uh, lots of stuff on the channel there to check out, so subscribe, rate, review. Uh, it, really, it really, really really helps. Um, my guest today is our first guest on the show. We're diving into the world of guests, and it's I can't really think of someone better to like, tee off the show with, then Blake Murphy of Raptors Republic. uh, He's the Don of Raptors blogdom. How you doing, man?
0: I'm all right. Thank you for the, uh, you know, overstating the intro by a significant margin.
1: (laughs) Uh, Don of Raptors blogdom and also the closer of the Cleveland Indians. Stop.
0: (laughs) There are Uh, so many baseball players that people have told me this year and, I mean, in general in the past. It's, uh, it's a lot, man. I don't look like all these people.
1: <laughs> it's the beard, man. It's the beard. Um, so I, I wanted Blake on today mostly because uh, there was a preseason game on Friday. Uh, people in Toronto may, may not have even known that it happened because it was game one of the ALCS that night. Uh, full disclosure, I did not watch the game between Toronto and San Lorenzo de Almagro. Uh, the champions of the Argentine League—they're the champions, right, Blake? They are the defending champions. They lost Walter Hermann though, so I don't know what their—I uh, don't know what their odds are like to repeat. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to get Blake's uh, just sort of quick recap on the San Lorenzo game because uh, probably not many people watched it. Uh, I don't think many people were in the stands from pictures I saw. Somehow, you know, on Raptors HQ, we got someone to write a recap just because he happened to be at the game. Uh, other than that, it was impossible to find someone to write about it. Uh, Blake, give us your uh, Coles notes on the San Lorenzo game. Norm Powell had a game, did he not? Yeah, Norm Powell and Fred Van Vliet both had huge games.
0: Uh, I wrote something at Raptors Republic uh, about how it was you know, it was kind of fun to see them go off at the same time because they've really quickly formed uh, a friendship and kind of a chemistry on the court and off the court. Uh, if you get a chance, Sean, I know you're going to be around some of the games in the regular season. If you get a chance to talk to Van Vliet, um, he is basically the same as Norman Powell. Like, their, their personalities are so similar that the after the game, they were, you know, arguing about who has more grind and who the bigger underdog is uh, and things <laughs> like that. So it was cool to see them kind of run the team and go off together. Um, early on, Norman Powell was, you know, we've seen this. We saw it when he was in the D League. We saw it in Summer League this summer. Um, he just continued to show kind of that the gap between where he is, and where the rest of these guys who are kind of fringy, uh, that gap is pretty wide. He went, he shot six of eight in twenty-four minutes. I think four of those were dunks. Uh, he dished a couple of dimes. He was jumping passing lanes to start the transition game. Uh, for a guy who struggled a little bit over the first couple of preseason games, it was probably a nice confidence boost for him. Um, and it was the first time, really, all preseason, I thought he's looked comfortable running those bench and tryout heavy units. Um, I thought he's looked fine when he's playing with the starters and regular guys more in the role that he's going to play at the NBA level. Um, but it's been those late game and second half stretches where he's maybe trying to do a little bit too much, forcing it, turning the ball over. Um, so this was a nice kind of course correction back to the Powell we experienced last year. And then, uh, you know, as Powell kind of eased off the throttle around halftime, Van Vliet took over. He finished with 31-5-5. Five and five. Uh, He shot 12 of 19. He showed such a great mix of um, – You know, getting through blitzes that San Lorenzo was throwing at him, uh, finding guys in the pick and roll, uh, attacking in the pick and roll. He showed some nice uh, pull up moves. It's pretty clear he's learning things on the fly from Kyle Lowry and Corey Joseph. Um, It's actually been interesting. Joseph and Lowry have both uh, gnashed the pick and roll or midgeted the pick and roll, depending on your preferred term, uh, which is like a Van Vliet specialty from Wichita State, but something the Raptors really didn't do except for against the Heat last year. Um, so it's been funny to kind of see him steal, but also the the veteran guys seem to be uh, noticing what he's doing against Lucas Nogueira and Jakob Pertle in practice, and uh, putting it into play as well. Uh, but yeah, it, it, for Van Vliet's perspective, you know, head coach Dwayne Casey was really unhappy with the defensive performance of the team overall, um, and he did uh, he did concede that that kind of starts at the point of at the point of attack, which would fall on Van Vliet, who played 38 minutes, um, but offensively. You know, you Van Vliet could not have asked for a better performance to, you know, make his final case for the 15th man position. Um, short of maybe that nine-minute stint that Brady Heslip uh, scored 12 points with two assists in, or 14 points with two assists in uh, a couple games back, I don't think any of the tryout guys have had a better singular performance than this one. Um, so those were really the two things that stuck out. Uh, dis- on the disappointing side, uh, Lucas Nogueira and Jakob Pertl both got a big opportunity and neither was uh, terrific defensively and Dwayne Casey was really disappointed uh, in that performance after the fact. So, you know, the, the 15th man job is still up in the air, but the backup center job is really still up in the air. And with the Raptors uh, kind of moving to a dress rehearsal style of exhibition for the next two, um, that might be all we really get to see from that, from those competitions.
1: Yeah, those are the kind of the two things I really want to touch on today. Um, we can get to the the, the the backup center thing in a second, but with Van Vliet, he seems like he's probably a lock for the 15th roster spot at this point. Uh, as you mentioned, not really anyone else has sort of you know shown, other than the couple stretches where Brady Hessel has shown off his shooting. Um, I'm curious, though, what you think is sort of the future of Van Vliet with the team, because it's kind of, it's pretty obvious that when DeLon Wright comes back, it's not like Fred Van Vliet has just taken DeLon, Wright, DeLon Wright's you know, spot on the roster. Van Vliet is going to be the odd man out, you would think. Um, so, what's going to happen there? Is he going to go back to the D League? Is he going to accept an assignment to the D League? Does he have to at this point? I know you're sort of, you know, well versed on the ins and outs of how the D League goes, you know, how the D League works. But you know, th- is there a chance that they lose him once Delon Wright comes back?
0: Um, I, first, I, I want to. Before I touch on that, I want to say I don't think it's a certainty that Van Bleed has the 15th roster spot on lockdown. Uh, I, def- okay. I definitely think he's the favorite, but um, when pressed about it, Dwayne Casey has repeatedly you know, acknowledged that they have a need at the third point guard spot, but also really stressed how much they would like to have some additional forward depth, uh, given that they yeah. don't want to overtax Damari Carroll. Um, Drew Crawford... Hasn't gotten to show a ton offensively, but he's been probably the most solid of the tryout guys on the defensive end of the floor. Um, You know, I think he's shown enough that he can defend threes, uh, even though he was more of a two-guard coming in. So I wouldn't rule him out. Uh, You know, Heslip, Heslip is kind of a, you know, as... The, as Jays fans argued for the for Dalton Pompey's inclusion on the 25-man roster in the postseason, uh, it's kind of a similar argument to Hesup where yeah, he's not the best of these players uh, by any means, but his one skill would be put into use at such high leverage opportunities and could swing games more than anyone else. That you know, there's an argument to be made there, but I I think it's probably Van Vliet or Crawford here. Um, Hessup I just don't think can defend at the level the Raptors want out of that role. Um, Singler, Utoff and Marrera haven't played a ton and you know have looked varying degrees of effective when they have played. Uh, so I think it's gonna come down to Van Vliet or Crawford and it's you know, I, I think I think maybe given how much you can switch other guys around that Van Vliet probably has the inside edge and he has, you know, been the most impressive of anyone uh of anyone in that group. But I wouldn't rule out Crawford just yet, given the team's perceived need at the three.
1: Um in terms of Van Vliet when Wright comes three. Pardon me? Yeah, you know, and considering the injury to, to Terrence Ross, it's not really sh- clear exactly like what the deal yeah, is there. Yeah, like it's,
0: Norman it's Powell hard, right but... now might be your backup small forward.
1: Yeah. On top of which, if
0: Sullinger's out, you know, Carroll is maybe going to see some time at the four. So maybe the extra wing guy um, does end up, you know, swinging it. Um, so it might come down to a case, too, where... Uh, Maybe it's an asset management thing where if Drew Crawford doesn't make the team, he's going overseas. He's not going to the D League. Uh, He didn't receive a partial guarantee. He's out of here. Whereas Van Bleet received a $50,000 partial guarantee. Um, There is probably some concern that he won't clear waivers if he's cut. Because from talking to people around the league at Summer League uh, in July, everyone thinks this guy is an NBA player. Uh, apparently he had offers to be selected in the second round, but you know, convinced teams not to take him so he could kind of dictate his own future a little bit. So you know, he may not clear waivers, and then he may not accept an assignment to the D-League. We know that Singler, Utah, um, Heslip, and I think Morera are all D-League bound if they're cut. Uh, Morera is the only one of those guys who I haven't confirmed, but it would stand to reason given how far he is from the NBA. Um, but yeah, so so there's certainly a scenario where Van Vliet makes a team. And then, like you said, when Wright comes back, he's waived later. Um, mm. Wright is scheduled to come back right now, late December, early January. Uh, January 10th, I think, is the date that 10-day contracts can start. Maybe it's January 5th. Um, so, you know, the timing would line up where, hey, you waive Van Vliet. Then you have that 10-day contract window where you call up, you know, Singler or Utah or whoever else, be Axel Tupon, if, you know he ends up back with the 905 after being cut by the Nuggets, um, so I mm-hmm. could definitely see a case where Van Vleet is a temporary 15th man, and that's the benefit of having these non-guaranteed deals. Um, but he's going to put them in a tough situation because they they really really like Fred Van Vleet, so it's I don't have a great feeling for how it's going to play out yet. My instinct is Van Vleet makes it, and then you know, there's not a long-term plan. They'll see how it plays out from there. Uh, I did talk to DeLon Wright a little bit at Media Day, and he thinks they can play together. Um, He's grown pretty confident that he can play off the ball a little bit more with his size. So um, Mm -hmm. I guess we'll see. Uh, But yeah, Yeah, yeah. right now I think it's Van Vliet's spot, but um, it's not 100%. Yeah, it's
1: not like you see a lot of Raptors lineups that don't feature at least one of Corey Joseph or, or Kyle Lowry. So I don't really know what kind of situation other than garbage time where that would sort of come into play in a game. But um, just so, and I guess the, the good thing too, with having, I mean, it's not a good thing to have Wright hurt, it hurt, obviously hurts his development. He looked like he was on a pretty good curve at Summer League, uh, but I guess having it out until, you know, end of December, early January sort of gives us some time to see how things play out and see if any other roster needs sort of come up and Hey, maybe there's a trade involved there too. Who knows? But
0: yeah. And um, it, it's worth remembering too, that the Raptors signed Fred Van Bleet to this two year partially guaranteed deal before DeLon Wright got hurt. Right. So they were, right. they were super high on him before. Um, and even at that time, uh, I was told that that was not a move that was intended to be a D league thing initially, even when Wright was healthy, the expectation was that Van Bleet was going to compete for a roster spot. So, hmm.
1: interesting. Um, another guy who's you know shown reasonably well in preseason was never really a threat to not make the roster is Pascal Siakam, the Raptors' first overall pick, or sorry, first round pick, second their second pick. Um, I'm just sort of interested in, in Siakam, and, and because you mentioned you know the sort of underwhelming performances by Bebe Nogueira and Luca uh, um and just sort of where Siakam might figure in. I'm thinking, you know, it's pro- it doesn't seem likely to come out of the gate where Siakam is, you know, the fourth big on the team. But is that a realistic sort of thing that happened over the course of the season? Is there a scenario where maybe he goes to the D-League for a little bit uh, kicks around in there is pretty good, and then comes up and you know quickly gets gets inserted into the, into the rotation. Similarly, similarly to Norman Powell last year.
0: Uh, I mean, I think that's the that's the hope. If you're a Raptor fan who's excited about Siakam, as you should be, given the energy and how much fun he is, uh, and he's turned in a good preseason. You know, he's shooting 55% for the floor. He's really showing how his athleticism can uh, push a transition game. Defensively, uh, he's guarded all sorts of different player types. Uh, and acquitted himself fairly well um he's shown a little bit of the ball skill that the team's excited about in terms of short-term playing time though uh the team has pretty much ruled out him playing backup center minutes they feel he's okay. just a little small at this point uh and then with his foot speed and agility they actually have shifted to seeing him as a four three slash three four in Dwayne Casey's words so basically, it seems more likely at this point that he'd see time at small forward than at center. And while that would obviously come with complications on the offensive end, um, it does speak to how versatile a piece they think he's going to be defensively. Um, you know, a lot can happen between now and, you know, the D, the window for when a guy is polished in the D-League and might see more time. Uh, but if you look at the center depth chart, it's not just Valanciunas, uh, Noguera, and Pertle. Nogueira and Pirtle, who seem to be neck and neck, But the expectation before he was hurt was that Sullinger would soak up some of those minutes at the small center, too. Um, So I think I think Siakam's minutes are going to depend more on the health of Carroll and Sullinger. And, you know, if those guys if Sullinger doesn't start the season, um, you know, I the Raptors said today that the hope is that he's ready for the opener with that sore foot. But it's not a guarantee. Uh, And then Damari Carroll, they're going to take it easy with his role all season long, it sounds like. So his path to playing time is probably going to come through those two guys and how healthy they stay rather than uh, what's going on at the center spot.
1: One thing that I was sort of thinking about today in terms of Siakam as a four um, is, you know, they, they've experimented with Jonas Valanciunas sort of being the anchor of a bench unit uh, a couple times in the preseason here, and I'm curious if maybe there's a way that, you know, just sort of lay out the, the rotation like this. You, you go in, you have Valanciunas start with Sullinger, Patterson, probably Sullinger. Um, and then at the six-minute mark, Valanchunas comes right out. You put Patterson and Sullinger as your sort of front court, uh, paired with you know mostly starters. And then maybe you start the second quarter with a Valanciunas Siakam look in the front court. Um, that seems to make a little bit of sense geometry-wise. Obviously, Siakam is not a great shooter at this point, but he seems to be a bit more of a mobile defender, as you as you pointed out. Is that something you could see maybe happening? You know, sooner rather than later?
0: Yeah, it's definitely a possibility. Um, I do think we need to factor into that Damari Carroll is going to see some time at the four as well, um, yeah. Because you know the Raptors are good that way, and that's a way to also free up the minutes jam for Norman Powell and Terrence Ross. So yeah. if that were to play out that way, what I could possibly see is um, you know when Valanciunas comes back in as the five, uh, Damari Carroll comes back in as the four after taking a rest uh, for Powell or Ross or something like that. Um, there's a lot of a couple of different ways it could go. Uh, I don't. Like if I'm running a team, I probably don't go a 10-man rotation all the way anyway, like not regularly. Um, but, you know, it's an 82-game season. They're going to play this more cautious than last year, it sounds like. So that's definitely a possibility. Um, Siakam and Valanciunas would have, you know, a little bit of spacing issue, but not anything that the Raptors haven't kind of managed through in the past. Um, I will note, though, that I was really excited about the potential for Valanciunas to... Um, be propping up those second units. Dwayne Casey has kind of downplayed it since they did that in the opener and said that it was more about um, getting Valanciunas' conditioning up and he was playing more minutes than the other starters. So that's kind of why it happened. But I definitely think it's something they should look into um, no matter who's with them in those second units because I think that's the that's a really good way to kind of ease the load on Lowry and DeRozan when they're on the floor individually instead of together with those bench-heavy units and increase Valanciunas's usage without cannibalizing from the two stars, um, who the four is in those scenarios. But look, by the end of last year, Patrick Patterson was playing like 30 minutes a game too. So he <laughs> might be the four in those looks as well. So, um, I don't know. I, I think the point we're both getting to here is that there are a lot of different ways the Raptors rotation could go, which is great because they have, uh, Pascal Siakam, Norman Powell, Jakob Poeltl, maybe Fred Van Vliet, all these guys who, you know, maybe don't have minutes right away, but you could make a case for them you know being justified in getting some minutes so everyone's leash is going to kind of be short if there are injuries they have depth they're comfortable with and then it's also going to if these guys play as well as hoped uh, it's going to free them up to limit the load on some of their top guys so as much as it can be frustrating i think for for fans to be excited about a siakam or a Pertle or even a norman powell and then not see them get minutes right away. The fact that we can have these discussions and, and come up with these different iterations to get guys minutes or different scenarios, I think that speaks to the you know the good position that the Raptors are in and you know the depth that they have, even though seven guys on this team are gonna be in their first three years in
1: the league. Yeah, I mean, last year you looked at the roster and it seemed like there were four or five spots on the, on the team that were just sort of prospect spots that weren't really useful in terms of you're trying to fill in minutes in a rotation in a game. Uh, The guys are still young in those spots, that's for sure, as you mentioned, but it seems like there's a lot more utility to be added to those roster spots. It's not, you know, Anthony Bennett and, you know, Bebe a year year younger and Bruno. I mean, Bruno's not going to play anyway, but uh, that's sort of what I'm getting at there is that there just seems to be more utility from those back-end roster spots, which should help getting through an 82-game season, no doubt.
0: Yeah, and and Um, it's why the draft strategy, you know, everyone wanted them to dangle that number nine pick in trade talks, and, you know, by all accounts, they were aggressive shopping it. But if you're a 56 win team and you can add a pair of young guys who cost you next to nothing on the cap, um, who can potentially come in and contribute in spot minutes right away and provide some longer term upside, you know, that's it's not a it's not a bad way to fill out the back end of your roster. And you see you see how other competitive teams um, do that well, like the Spurs and like the Warriors have um, picking up, you know, Patrick McCaw, who is probably the best player on that team already. And then you see how other teams like the Clippers have kind of punted it and it's been a source of weakness and they haven't been able to, you know, develop that back end of the roster into useful pieces. So there are a couple different ways you can use those assets. And I think the way the Raptors have done it, where they're competing and they're in win now mode, but they're also in player development mode. It's a really tricky balance to keep, uh, but I think they're doing it pretty well so far.
1: Yeah, and some years you're going to have it more balanced one way to the other where maybe you have less of those guys who you can use like last year and this year it seems to be coming together where they seem to have a lot of guys at the right curve uh, where they can use them in the rotation uh, at some point during the season. Last thing for you, Blake, uh, just sort of, I mean, we're nine days away from the opener. It's, I'm so ready for preseason to be over. We're five games into it now. It seems like we're about 10 Uh, they've had the the Raptors have had these long layoffs in between games as well which is super annoying whenever you're trying to get jacked up for a preseason game which is hard enough as it is Um, is there anything that's sort of been undercovered so far in preseason sort of an under-the-radar story that you kind of have your eye on and that you think might come into play in the next couple games here or heading into the regular season
0: I don't think it's possible in a month-long preseason where they've had two stretches of like a week off for anything to be undercovered really (laughs) most of the you know, the guys who were gonna play big minutes look mostly ready other than maybe Valanciunas, who's still you know, he took a month off after the Olympics. Um Larry and DeRozan are Larry and DeRozan, Patterson's good to go, Joseph's good to go. Um, you know, everyone's talked about the rookies a lot. I think the one thing and it's it's come up, but people aren't sure how much to panic about it because it's the preseason. Um I think the thing we're gonna be talking about early in the season is probably the defense. Um yeah. it's not you know th- this is a team that might settle in in like the 12 to 18 range for defensive efficiency at least for the early parts of the season as they figure out how to you know how to make up for the fact that Bismack biombo isn't behind them to help make up for mistakes and the fact that you know some of their guards struggle with ball containment and keeping the ball in front of them um, and they, look it's not undercovered. it's something people have talked about and pointed out after um preseason games but because it's the preseason, the results haven't mattered that much. Um, that's the thing I think we'll be talking about a couple games into the season, maybe. Um, I don't know, man. Nothing gets undercovered in a month-long preseason. This is like my thirtieth season preview podcast. There's no, there's no <laughs> angle to take that uh, that, I, I haven't, that we haven't talked about yet, and I'm sure it's the same with you with the uh, you know the headquarters and the locked-on
1: Raptors. Which, by the
0: way, congratulations and great get for the locked-on network.
1: Thanks, man. really appreciate it. Um, and thank you for coming on the show and being our first guest. Uh, where can people find you? I'll give you about four minutes to list off all the places people can
0: find you. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, at Blake Murphy ODC on Twitter is the best way to keep up. Um, I have a Facebook page too, but I don't really use Facebook that much. So uh, I won't push you there. But I'll also, you know, I, I, Raptors Republic is where most of my Raptor stuff goes. And then Sportsnet, uh, Vice, some baseball stuff at Fangraphs, and then uh, the Athletic TO, which just launched. And they locked down Eric Corrine as their main basketball guy, which is an awesome, awesome get. Uh, so check out The Athletic and subscribe to that because Eric's work is awesome. And I will be freelancing for them, uh, you know, helping Eric out on occasion. So that's uh, that's probably enough place to eh? say.
1: Yeah, yeah, you can, you can, you can stop now. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much, man, for coming on and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks, Sean. All right, thank you so much for listening to uh, episode four of the Locked on Raptors podcast. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Woodley Look for the shows at Locked On Raptors on Twitter. Uh, and uh, just uh, any feedback, comments, anything, email to lockedonraptors at gmail.com or just send me a tweet and we'll get uh, any questions or anything on the next podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode of Locked On Raptors.